comes that little meditation. It was good for you? Really good? The walking meditation. The two together felt yes. Uh, how many of you found that doing walking first was really helpful? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. It, they combine quite well. Experience of this meditation? Yes. Should one do walking meditation even if one does not enjoy it? Should one do walking meditation <laughs> if one does not enjoy it at all? Well, uh, I'm not so sure I really want anybody to do something that they don't enjoy at all. Uh, are you, is this because you found that you didn't enjoy it at all? And, and none of the different forms of it that I suggested were enjoyable for you? The first form, if I speed it up, mm-hmm. then I can enjoy it. Then, then do that. Yeah, yeah. You might find later on that you uh, come to, to enjoy some of the other forms, but it's fine if you don't. Yeah. Just not long to the, to the full pamphlet book on walking meditation, and it might be what she wants to do because it's kind of like driving your car and meditating. It, it's a very fast, fast-paced, and in other words, you don't embarrass yourself walking out in your neighborhood. Uh, and you count, you count your steps as you count as you breathe in. Take four or five steps breathing in, four or five steps breathing out. It's, it, yeah, just not one that little, little pamphlet like that. I, I never. It's a lot. It's a lot faster. It's almost like a normal walk. You can do the walking uh, meditations that I described, particularly the one of just being in the present at uh, normal walking speed, too. But as he said, Tishat Han's method combines the breath and the walking together, so you're, you're uh, timing your breath with your walking. So it might be something. Check it out. But, but by all means, as, you know, I, I, there's no problem with doing walking at a Rap, more rapid pace if you find the slowness of problem. Mm-hmm. Do you have a question? Yeah. Um, you spoke about when in being on the object, like two parts, like first getting your mind, placing your mind on the object, and then continuing mm-hmm. the mind on the object. So it's easier for me to place my mind on the object mm-hmm. than it is to continue. Yeah. So can you give some tips for that? Sure, yes. So stay, staying on the object Tips for staying on the object. Um, <clears throat> well, what you, if you can, what I describe as being engaged with the object, and that's where, uh, that's where creating some sort of a challenge for your mind associated with the object comes in. Um, but not only for that reason, uh, I would suggest that you want to be as aware as you can 
of the of the details of the sensations of the of the breath as they unfold is partly an engagement thing, and it's partly just increasing your mindful awareness. But um, so trying to identify exactly when the in breath begins and ends, and when the out breath begins and ends, is one way of making it more challenging for yourself. Uh, and then expanding your observation to include the pause between the in and out breath and the out and in breath, how long that is, and being aware in that pause. And then beyond that is being aware of the, the different sensations that uh, occur during the course of one in breath. As the air moves into your body, uh, it doesn't produce just one single homogenous sensation. It's a series of changing sensations which you can become aware of. So uh, trying to become more aware of those is a way of engaging. It gives you more of a challenge or something to do. Um, noticing whether the, the in-breath or the out-breath is longer, which of those pauses is longer, noticing whether one breath is longer or shorter than the next. You know, when you breathe in a long breath, you know you breathe in a long breath. If you breathe in a short breath, you know you breathe in a short breath. This is in reference to uh, having not, not, not only this very focused awareness on the breath as you follow each, uh, sensations as you follow them throughout each breath, but also having an awareness of how the breath changes. Um, You can only go so far, though, with those kinds of challenges. I don't know how far you've gone with them to this point. Have you tried those kinds of things? Well, I find them to be distracting from the sensation of the breath. And, you know, and sometimes I have a, a good success with uh, the, the gap, the pause between mm -hmm. breaths, you know, finding that. And also uh, it helps me to to really focus on the end of the exhale. Mm -hmm. like, that really helps. Okay. And when you're doing that, don't, don't forget any of the stuff in between. It's just, yeah. if, if, there's, if there's some details that aren't clear, then you're trying to make them, them clearer while remaining continuously aware of everything else. Do you find that helps somewhat? It's, it's that whole, like, keeping track of, like, this was longer than that, is like, then I'm not on the sensation. Well, uh, you, you mean because you're, you, there's a, a little bit of reflection that's taking place? Think about it, yeah. And you have to have to think about it. But, but you know, that's that's quite all right if it helps you to not be distracted and forget the, and, and lose your awareness of the breath altogether. But isn't it isn't that a different object? Well, not really. It's uh, uh, you're still. You know, you may be thinking about what you're observing rather than just purely observing it a little bit. But I don't think there's a lot of thinking involved in that. It's more just the, the remembering, you know, or, or the having the uh, having the uh, intention in mind to notice the duration of each breath. So if you want to call that thinking, but it's not really a different object. It's still all about the breath. It's it's much more the same object than say. You're, you're thinking about what you're planning to do tonight after you leave or something, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a, you know, like I say, you can talk to yourself about the breath, too, 
as you're observing it. And of course, that's not quite the same thing as only observing the sensations. But still, it's training your mind to stay continuously aware of the breath. And that's what you really want to do. So, so it's all right to, you don't be overly strict. You know, Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. If, if you're concerned that because there's some thinking involved in trying to notice whether this breath is longer or shorter than the last, I think you're being overly strict in terms of what what we're trying to accomplish. Now, what will happen as you, as as your mind becomes more uh, comes to more naturally stay continuously aware of the breath, then you won't need to think about those things so much anymore. But probably what you'll find is you're spontaneously aware of whether this breath is a little longer or shorter. It's just that your overall mindfulness will have increased to the point that that, that is a part of it. Now, there is something else in this that you can do, too. Though. Uh, the, the, the mental process of sustained attention, and we think about that for a moment. Uh, I have suggested to you that there is some part of your mind whose job it is to decide how long the attention should be sustained on any one particular thing before it moves on to something else. And you want to influence that. So you want, you want this uh, invisible process that, uh, that keeps your attention focused. You want to influence that so that it stays with the breath longer. Now, this is a reflection of the uh, importance that you attach in your mind. That the, how to put it, uh, it's almost like the enthusiasm you have for being able to succeed at this. You know what I'm saying? Sort of. Okay. Maybe you can elaborate on what you want me to okay. do with that enthusiasm. What I, what I want you to do, well, I want you to have that enthusiasm. You see, if your mind is invested with a sense of that, uh, with a sense of continuing to be aware of the breath is important, and an enthusiasm for experience, experiencing that, knowing that, then that will condition that part of your mind that that is really controlling this, because you're not consciously controlling it. You're just trying to do things to keep from from losing it, you know. You're not driving the cart, you're just trying to hang on, you know. But there's something else that's driving the cart, and you, you want that part to not, uh, to, to, to not change gears on you here. So the interest, the enthusiasm, the, uh, the perceived importance of, of, of being able to do this. The satisfaction, the more satisfaction that you can feel, then the more easily you're going to stay, stay with the breath. But in the midst of all of this, don't, don't become, uh, don't become attached to being successful in a way that it creates an impediment. You know what I mean? Now, if you if you do this, if you're doing this practice regularly, 
and over a period of time, you really see no difference. That you know, you, you say that well, I managed to stay aware of the breath for three or four breaths, but that's it. It never goes any longer than that. Or, then there's a problem. I mean, I, I don't. I, there's nothing about three or four that's special. But what I mean is, if you find over time that uh, you're, you're not actually making some progress that you can recognize, then uh, then there might be you might need to look at it a little more closely and see if we can find something else that helps you work, helps helps to make it work better for you. the difference between calm awareness and, and dullness? <clears throat> because, well, if we look at, at the progress here that we're after, in, in the fourth stage you don't ever lose the awareness of the meditation object, but you can have dullness, subtle dullness or strong dullness. Uh, and likewise you can have uh, uh, what we call gross distraction, where some distraction, you don't lose awareness of the object, but some distraction becomes the predominant focus. Right? So you can still continue to have awareness of the meditation object at the same time that you have dullness. And the fact is that the dullness can make it, e more, make it easier to stay with the meditation object. So as you're saying, how do you tell the difference? Okay, I'm staying with the meditation object really, really well. And then uh, the thought comes, but maybe that's just because the dullness is helping me to do that. And maybe it is. <clears throat> it depends on where you are in your practice. Because if you're in that fourth stage, where you still have a tendency to have other thoughts displace the meditation object, then a little bit of dullness that helps you to stay focused <clears throat> is not a bad thing. Really strong dullness where uh, it it's, you become in danger of becoming drowsy, but even if you don't become drowsy, the meditation object becomes distorted uh, and, and, and really unrecognizable. Then you want to correct for that. Okay? So this is why, um, this is why you need to be able to know where you are uh, in order to judge what's appropriate to do or to not do. If you, if you rarely have a subtle distraction become a gross distraction, then you also want to be alert for subtle dullness. That means that you're now entering into practice according to the fifth stage. Okay? And so now, rather than tolerating the subtle dullness that's been helpful, you want to recognize it and you want to correct for it. But if, on the other hand, being able to stay with the meditation object continuously is still rather new for you, 
And if you are still at risk of having some other thought or, or topic of awareness, displace the meditation object, then it's all right to let there be a little dullness that helps you to develop this, this constancy and this consistency. And you can take care of it later on. But when you're aware that that's there, keep an eye that it doesn't slip into the, into the gross dullness, the strong dullness. If it does, then you want to brighten up your awareness. So observing in my practice what's happening, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and what's really important here in, in this particular, in the, in the fourth stage, uh, which is, would you agree from what you've read about that, 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 you feel that at least that period of practice you just described corresponds yeah, in to that? In my practice, I go back and forth, you know. I have yeah. complete uh, phases where I'm, just like that, what I just described, right. and then, then all this other stuff. So it's like a spiral, back and forth kind of thing. But uh, I would say more, more is more and more. I stay on, on on the breath, and I stay on that on that focus. Yeah. So corresponding to the fourth stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and what you're experiencing is normal. That's what you'll have. You'll move back and forth over several stages, uh, different different days and different sits. <laughs> and so you judge where you are right now. And so if this sit that you're doing today, you'd say, well, this is a fourth stage sit because I am still vulnerable to gross distractions, then you're willing to tolerate the subtle illness. If, on the other hand, you've been, your mind's been really stable and you've been pretty invulnerable to gross distractions and you realize there's subtle illness there, then go ahead and pull yourself out of that subtle illness. Fourth stage is a balance. You let a little bit of subtle dullness be there to help stabilize you, but not too much. There's too much, you bring yourself back. And you, there, there is, of course, all of the subtle distractions, too. And really, uh, if they weren't there, you would probably be much more prone to dullness. As a matter of fact, if you find that, that things are getting really, really quiet in your mind, then check to see what's happening with, with, with your mental clarity and with the vividness of perception. Because you might be sinking into a deep dullness. So, so that's really, that's where, where, that's how you want to practice in that fourth stage. Really good question, really good way of illustrating how, how this progression goes. When you feel really strong though, in, in it, that, uh, that gross distractions aren't a problem, and of course you're quite aware of strong dullness, then you really want to be on guard against subtle dullness. You want to be on guard against any noticeable decrease in the vividness and clarity of your perception of the meditation object. And even more subtly than that, of any lack of, of your own subjective experience of mental clarity start to experience a little bit of mental fuzziness in the process, and then you want to bring the energy level up a bit. Thank you for that question. What else? Yes, please. Relax, get into it. And 
once I slowed down, I was thinking, this takes a lot of effort. And then I realized, no, maybe I'm putting too much effort. So then I was trying to see how experiment how to walk lightly, you know, and all that. And then I wonder why my like there's stress on my joints and my going <laughs> because that really like her, I was not enjoying it at all. But then I got information from doing that why I wasn't enjoying because I walk a lot, as you know, um, you know during the day. But I walk fast, and it's well not fast, but it's faster, and it's like automatic pilot. The mind and the body are not engaged, I think, together, and I'm not really present. But when I am present, and I realize, good Lord, you know, I must be putting all my weight on, like my ankle or something. And I'm like, this cannot be good, you know. And uh, so it's very informative. And so it can't be like, you know, like very diligent. So then I come in here and I just, oh, let's just try to relax in this. <laughs> but so does that just come, I guess, consistent, regular practice? Yes, it will come. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, so for you, you, you tend to be real speedy, and then when you do slow down, you slow down too much. <laughs> so that's... Uh, but it makes it really clear for you, you know, what you need to work on, and that's uh, finding a balance. Really, that's what it is. It's finding a balance. It's... It's letting yourself calm down, but not calm down too much. And you want to have relaxed alertness, I mean, mentally, physically relaxed at first, but mentally, you want your mind to be relaxed, but still very alert. And and that little phrase really uh, does express <coughs> the kind of balance that you're looking for. Not to become too relaxed, and not to become hyper alert, but to find, find that balance. And then the interesting thing that happens over time is, as you practice in the fifth and sixth stages and beyond that, is the energy level of your mind and your alertness can continue to increase, but you no longer are vulnerable to distraction because of it. So you don't want to become too relaxed. You're going to find the balance. Then later on, you're going to find that you can stay relax, but with more and more and more mental activity, more and more mental energy, uh, while, while not becoming agitated and distracted. So did you then, uh, you practice overcoming dullness here during this trip? I did. Right. And I was given positive reinforcement. Okay. <laughs> and that helped. Yeah. That helped kind of That's good. And so you would bring yourself back to a state of alertness that you could sustain for a few minutes at least? Yeah. But then I would kind of yeah. veer off again. Yeah, that's that's very that's very good. That's that's excellent. So and when you're when and some of the others, you anybody else dealing with dullness when you're sitting here after the walk? Yeah. Okay. So that's what that's what you want is to get up and to be on a plateau of alertness for a period of time before the dullness reasserts itself. What you don't want, 
is the phenomenon of sinking, where you come up to the surface and then you're almost immediately sinking, and you even feel like you're being pulled down. So you want to your your objective is to really get yourself completely out of it so it lasts a while. And did you have luck with doing that? That's right. Did you have luck with doing that? And what about the experience of having to do it a few times or several times, and then all of a sudden you're wide awake and it's no problem anymore? Anybody had that experience? Mm -hmm. Kind of? Yeah. Okay. That, that's, that is the way the training and over, overcoming dullness will, that, that's how it will manifest itself. You'll, you'll have to bring yourself out. Sometimes it'll be through the, uh, the entire sit, but more and more often you'll have the experience that a few times and then you're out of it. Stay out of it. The balance thing, you've probably come across this in things that you've read, J.D., or some of you have. They always, in, in meditation, and all kinds of different contexts, like to bring up the loop player. You know, don't tune the loop too tight, and don't tune the loop too, too loose. And, and that, that's the kind of idea there. If you energize the mind too much, then you're agitated and distracted. But you relax the mind too much, and then it wants to go to sleep. Anything else? Yes? Oh, I don't think you mentioned this, this today, but um, one of the techniques you've recommended that I use more now for getting out of dullness is bringing more awareness on the breath. Just So, well, what you say is true, but I'll put a little qualification on it, and I'll just repeat this for the recording. That in, uh, in stage four, where you talk about how you found it very useful to practice, where you, you become very intensely aware of the details of the breath, and it's very helpful and energizes the mind. But in, in, stage, in stage four, what I was saying is you don't necessarily have to do that. But at the same time, you want to be, you want to be as fully aware as you can. But if your struggle is that there's a lot of thought, a lot of other mental activity, a lot of thoughts, and you find that you're frequently, you're frequently experiencing a gross distraction as a result of that, then you allow more dullness. And then, if you if the mind is is nice and stable, and you're really you're aware that perhaps there's a little bit of dullness there, then go ahead and brighten up your awareness and and see if you can still sustain that as well. So I know this kind of both possibilities. Sometimes when I, there's subtle dullness, like a, a comfortable amount, that it is easier for sustaining the focus on the breath. Yeah. But I notice a lot of times it's a lot harder to be mindful of gross distraction or subtle distraction as it's turning into gross distraction. So yeah. I've kind of had both experiences. Like this last hit, it was much more the case that I was in subtle illness and I 
I'm still able to steer with the breath on autopilot, but yeah. it was in the most meager, kind of minimal, tenable, continuous way. And then yeah. it, the gross instruction just, I couldn't get the distance from it. Uh, yeah, so what you say is very true about if you if you start cruising in that comfortable, comfortable place of subtle dullness, uh, you become very vulnerable to an interesting thought or an important thought comes along and will grab your attention. Uh, so uh, you can't, your introspective awareness suffers. You know, dullness affects all awareness, not just the uh, perception of the meditation object. It's also directly affecting your introspective awareness that warns you when when uh, your attention is about to be grabbed by something else. So that that is the you you want. Let's put it this way: you always want to be as as fully and strongly aware as you can, only sacrificing that to the degree that's necessary to uh, to cope with a lot of distraction. Okay, and then. When you start to 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 enjoy some stability, challenge yourself. Um, your meditation will stay more interesting if uh, if you're always it's like if you're always playing with your mind. If you're always experimenting and playing and trying and adjusting a little bit here and there and seeing what happens. Um, if, if you think, I'm going to sit down and, oh, I'm going to have a really stable, relaxing, restful meditation, you will. You'll have a stable, relaxing, restful meditation. You'll quite likely dive in. in <laughs> and also, uh, it, it won't be as, uh, it won't be as interesting, exciting, and uh, so, yeah. If you're somebody that is vulnerable to thinking, you have to be very careful because uh, when you do something, like I said, experiment with it, you can easily start having discursive thoughts about it. The way I'd like you to experiment is more like, you know, uh, driving a very fast car, you know, or uh, skiing down a steep slope or something like that. There's not a lot of room for thinking. If you start thinking, you'll end up in trouble really quickly. In other words, you know, the, the experimenting with, you know, brightening your awareness or uh, whatever it might involve, uh, it, it, should be, it should be more in the way that you'd be doing something. Because your mind, things change in your mind just like that. You know. and, and so if you start if you start thinking, what will happen is you'll get caught by the thought. And take you a while to, to let go of it. So the only kind of thinking that you really need to do is that uh, sort of not, not very verbal sort of, uh, you know, uh, ideas arise and intentions arise and you pursue them or you ignore them. 
but you don't you don't get in, engaged in a verbal process about that. Some people are much more vulnerable to thinking than others. And you, you'll know if you're like that. It'll be obvious. Um, I really like to think. Yeah. So if I, start, if I start thinking about my meditation while I'm doing it, then it's, you know, a, it's just so easy. The next thing I know is one thought's building on another thought. And you can think and observe your breath at the same time. But what happens is your awareness of the breath kind of slips into the background. And you're really doing more thinking than you are observing the breath. So, and if the thought leads to an interesting thought, it can end up, you know, you start out, you're thinking about what you're doing in your meditation. But before you know it, the, the thought is way diverged from anything at all to do with the meditation. You're, you're analyzing and you're comparing. And you're, you know. um. Yes? Could you comment on um, how to work with balancing when you're experiencing some positives? Uh, <coughs> Other times it becomes, becomes a part of dullness. Becomes a part of dullness. So you, you're, so let me just clarify. You're asking about the, the balance with dullness and that sometimes joy, pleasure arise in association with it. Yeah. This is uh, dullness is inherently pleasant. I think that's why people like to make themselves dull in various ways. Going, going to sleep is, is pleasant. Uh, dulling your mind with alcohol and drugs is pleasant. So there's pleasure associated with dullness. And so that's the thing that you have to be careful of, is that uh, you get into a, a comfortable place due to dullness. You know, you're trying to find the balance. If you start becoming too comfortable, you should probably brighten up a little bit. And, you know, if it becomes, if, if it starts to become too pleasurable, then that's a good sign that there's, there's too much dullness there. There's more dullness than there should be there. The meditative joy that comes later on is really a bright, alert kind of joy. It's not, uh, as a matter of fact, when it first comes, its main problem is it has too much energy and excitement with it. And that more really comfortable, warm, fuzzy kind of pleasure and happiness is really more associated with dullness. And so, so do be on guard against that. Okay? Um, but at the same time, if, you, if you're finding it useful to, to take that step back, just to clarify, when I talk about subtle dullness, we haven't talked about this enough that I confident that everybody knows what I'm talking about here. Now, when there's no dullness present, your, your, your mind is just 
really covering every tiny bit of the sensations of the breath. You know, you're just you're, you're you're getting right into it. You're staying right on top of it, and there's no gaps. There's uh, this sort of anticipation of each new phase of the breath as it unfolds. You know, the inhale and the pause, and the exhale and the pause. And you're just totally on top of it, and it's really it's really clear, and you you notice right away if something changes. You know, if it's longer or shorter, if something changes, you, you're really aware of it because you're totally into it. And that, there's no dullness at all in that. The subtle dullness that we're talking about is that's when you mentally you sort of take a step back, there's a little more distance. You distance yourself from it. Uh, you're observing it in, in a gentler and easier kind of way. It's more it's, doesn't feel as intense, and uh, there's not as much effort involved in you know staying right on top of it. It's more just leaning back and letting it happen. And so when you're doing that, you know, in order to stay to to stay focused, and you find that that leaning back, taking that mental posture, leaning back and look, observing the breath in a more relaxed way helps your mind to be steadier. What you have to be careful of is that you go too far in. And so there, there are some signs of that. If, you, if your attention is really steady and there's this, this soft, warm, fuzzy pleasure developing, then that's a sign that you know you can, you can focus in a bit more. You can become more intense. Not that there's anything wrong with, with the pleasure of it, but it's, it's a warning that it's going to go too far. It's going to take you too far, and you don't want you don't want it to do that. Um, I was going to say something else, but it slipped away there. Oh, another thing that can tip you off that is, uh, if if your concentration seems to be really good. And you are not sure whether there's dullness in there or not. Notice how you react if there's a, a disturbance or a sudden noise or something like that. If if you have a startle reaction, then most likely, almost certainly, you are slipping into a state of dullness. When you are when you are really aware, when you are really present, and there isn't any subtle dullness present. Your reaction to a sound will be as though your mind catches it almost as soon as it happens, and there's not that kind of startled effect. It's just you know you're you're right there with it as as it happens. So if you're not sure whether whether you still have dullness or not, watch for things like that suddenly jerking if somebody coughs or if a car horn honks or something. Yes. Restlessness was almost painful. Almost painful. But then it would subside. So when it gets intense, what can I do about it other than shift or move? Well, before you shift or move, first, first 
drop the, the sensations of the breath as an object and direct your attention fully on the restlessness itself. Investigate how it feels. Where do you feel it? What qualities does it have? How do they change? Just investigate it objectively and see what happens. And uh, that might be enough right there. And as long as it's really, really strong, you can take it as a meditation object and it'll serve all the same purposes that the breath does. I, I did do that. You did do that. Yeah, and it kept me very alert. It kept you very alert. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, though, the, the feeling of restlessness will just go away and then you can go back to the breath again. And sometimes, uh, like any other kind of discomfort, it may become so intense that you realize that, you know, uh, you're going to try to do something to relieve it. And when you realize that that's going to happen, don't don't just be overwhelmed by it. Don't let let a, an urge arise that forces you to suddenly shift in position or move or do something to overcome it. But rather, come to that point of accepting that, yes, I'm going to need to move. Uh, therefore, I'm going to move intentionally and and make it fully intentional. Decide when you're going to move and exactly how you're going to move and then be fully mindful of it as you move. And then, when you make your move and the discomfort of the restlessness disappears or, or, or fades, then go back to the breath. So that way you're always, you're, always, you're always meditating. You're always directing and sustaining your attention. You're keeping the mind in the state of being trained towards the, the malleability and wieldiness that you ultimately want to have. We haven't sat for very long periods of time, but uh, may have been long enough some of you experienced pain in sitting. The discomfort is painful. And you treat that in exactly the same way. Almost all of these things is, first you disregard them as long as you can disregard them. Just let them be there. And then when they become so intense that you can't disregard them, because they're, they're actually starting to take control of the attention, then you take them as the object. And they'll either, they'll either lighten up and let you go back to your meditation object, or they'll become so intense that you feel the inescapable need to take some action to, to relieve the discomfort and then do so and then go back to the meditation object. But sometimes, sometimes you, you just use that as a meditation object as long as you have to. You don't reach the point where you have to move, but it doesn't lighten up to the point that you can come back to the breath, so you just take that as a meditation object. So we've discussed and uh, mostly the first three or possibly even four stages of, uh, of these ten stages today. Didn't spend too much time talking about the details of uh, establishing a practice, but I think I did emphasize hopefully enough how important that is, how absolutely essential that is. And maybe there's other details of these stages that I didn't make clear enough, but I feel as though the discussion is probably going to move beyond these things tomorrow. So in the time we have left, 
let's just make sure that everybody feels like they they really you really have a, have a good solid understanding of what's involved in in these first four or five stages. Yes. In the last conversation, um, it was just hitting me. you would investigate your own the original yes. meditation object. How you'd investigate your own original well, meditation object. and correct me if I'm mistaken, is to just to speak more directly to what we mean when we say investigate the meditation object uh, and, and, and also what we mean when we say investigate something else like a pain or, or whatever. You know. But starting with the meditation object, how do we investigate that? Okay. That's, that's a, an excellent question and very worth uh, us about a little bit. I said the meditation object is a sensation of the breath. And so we want to take the stance of being sort of a, the, the curious scientist, examining the sensations of the breath objectively. Um, some of the things that are involved in this is that we're, we're not in a, a relationship of it being my breath. Uh, we're, we're not even really in a relationship of it being breath. It's the sensations of the breath. And the fact that the sensations come from your breath is, is uh, well, it's, it's a true statement of, of the circumstances, but what we're interested in is not the breath that's producing the sensations, but the sensations that result. Okay, so we're not getting into, or, or we're trying not to be in the place of conceptualizing, well, here's my body, and my body is breathing, and here is the, the air that is being drawn into my body, and the air that's going out of my body. That's all, in a sense, a kind of story that our mind makes up to explain these sensations. And what we're doing is we're going to ignore all of the story and just see what is really there. And when your eyes are closed and you direct your attention to the sensations at your nose, there's no breath there to be found. There's no air there to be found. There's no body there to be found. There are only these sensations. The sensations come and go. They change. Okay? And so 
This gives our whole investigation a very objective quality. What sensation are present? How do they change? How do they change? How do they go away? What new ones replace them? How do they change? How do they go away? Just observing as it unfolds in front of us. And then the other way that I, the other things that I talked about of noticing exactly when the sensations of the in-breath begin and where they end. Well, it's, it's usually very easy to see, uh, to, to observe the beginning of the sensations. But where the in-breath ends, it's a little bit subtler. And then if we go to the beginning of the out-breath, it is clearer, but maybe not quite as clear as the beginning of the in-breath. So then you're, you're looking to identify those in your investigation really clearly, you know, like, like you got to write a report on this or something. Well, <laughs> not, not without getting into thinking, but, uh, you know, if you, if you had to pinpoint, you know, for some reason or another, exactly what does constitute the end of the sensations that you've been observing that uh, are produced by the air coming in? And then what are the qualities of these? As you first begin, you know, the air coming in is cool, but then as the cool air cools the tissues in your nose, you don't see as much temperature difference. And the air is still as cool as it was before, but now because of nose, inside of the nose is cooler as well, the difference isn't as noticeable. And then, then there's the, the movement. Begins strong, might become weaker, might become stronger again. It goes through its own changes. So you're investigating in the sense, you're investigating, observing, you're, you're just trying to trying to fully grasp what's taking place there. Not, not conceptually. The concepts are there. Your mind still keeps conceptualizing in, in breath and out breath. But eventually you'll come to a point where it doesn't. And you, and you're not even sure whether the sensations that you're examining right now are in-breath sensations or out-breath sensations. It doesn't matter because they're just sensations. And, and you're totally focused on investigating them. Does this, this help to explain that part of it there? It does. Okay. And terms, you start to realize how much scope, more scope there is to really be focused and to be aware. What's happening in terms of our experience all the time is happening so incredibly quickly. And we ignore most of it because it makes our life really simple. But now in our meditation, we're trying to change that. And we're trying to really notice what's happening. And, uh, and what is uh, really satisfying, gratifying, is when you realize that you can do that, too. You're, you, you, you have this experience of your mind becoming capable of being just that much more alert and aware and, uh, and on top of things, I say. Now, we'll move this to examining a pain, for example. To to uh, take the pain as a meditation object, you want to also be in this very objective stance. There's not, none of this is my pain, my knee, uh, oh, I don't like this. 
Um, I mean, that's going to be there, but you but let that be there in the periphery. What you want to do is, you know, you're once again this curious scientific observer that, oh, a pain. I wonder what a pain really is. Let me look at this pain. How, how big is it? You know, and, and with your mind, just notice how big it is. And notice if it's moving or if it's getting larger or smaller, or if it's getting more intense or less intense. And, and what, what qualities it has. Is it sharp? Is it dull? Is it throbbing? Is it aching? Is it deep? Is it superficial? Or, you know, just see see what it really is there. So you're you're in this in this uh, objective mode of observing and examining and investigating. With pain, you can take that to saying, well, okay, there's a variety of sensations here. Uh, and what is it about these sensations that causes me to call them pain? Or is there only one of these sensations that's pain and the other sensations are just uh, dullness or, or achiness or something else that uh, is not uh, so negative? It's, it's, it's very important to do that. It's an important part of your practice to have enough pain that you get some experience with objectively observing pain and examining the nature of pain, understanding your mind's reaction to pain. So take advantage of it because uh, there's a lot to learn from it. When you get to uh, beginning and usually the fourth stage and really becoming noticeable in the fifth and sixth stage is where that purification process that I talked about, you'll have strong emotions coming up. And recollections of the past and things like that. So you need to have already wet your teeth on examining pain to be able to examine strong emotions also from an objective perspective. Also without getting into to, to my, my fear, my anger, my this, my that, but rather fear arising, anger arising. What does it feel like? How big is it? How small is it? How does it change? So you practice with pain, and then when it comes to these emotions, then you can you, you can much more readily be able to examine them, take them as your meditation object, as necessary. You know, be with them, live with them, accept them, not fight them. Instead, investigate them, and when the time is appropriate, let go of them. Same thing with memories and thoughts. The the stickiest thing of all is is our our thoughts, and as soon as something really powerful comes up, the tendency is we get swept away in the storyline. So the more practice that you can accumulate with uh, pain and emotions and things like this, of staying distanced and staying objective, then uh, the better off you'll be when the really important things that you need to examine objectively so that you can let go come up. I'll just point out too, with with these unpleasant thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations, that uh, they are a good opportunity to discover uh, the relationship between 
pain and suffering and how we turn pain into suffering and how we take unpleasant emotions and thoughts and uh, how they become intolerable. Because taking pain, for example, if you examine and investigate pain the way I've described, you will discover that when you're objected with it, it's, it's quite, it's much more tolerable. It sometimes even ceases to be painful, it just becomes another sensation. Um, but in the process of doing that, you're going to find it's not always that way. And you'll notice the difference is when you resist the pain. When you resist the pain. And this is the same thing when you've got a pain and the idea comes of moving. Uh, if I just move my leg, this pain will go away. And notice that when you have that thought of, oh, if I do this, it will go away, that the pain immediately becomes more intense. It's like, oh, yes, I've got to move it. Or if you think to yourself, well, I'm going to sit here as long as I can, and then your mind will say, oh, I don't know if I can stand this. And it's a re that's a resistance. When the mind resists something, it becomes greatly amplified. And it becomes more intolerable and, and less acceptable. And the same thing will be true when you're dealing with unpleasant emotions. As long as you can stay objective with them, you can tolerate them much more easily. But when you start rejecting them, when you start, I, I have to get, I have to, I, if, I sure hope this goes away soon. Or, I, what am I going to do if this gets worse? Or what if this doesn't go away? These kinds of thoughts. These are all resistance, and they're going to make it just really hard to deal with. Very, very hard to cope with. If fear comes up in meditation, then that's a really good example because you can start being afraid of the fear, and it just gets worse and worse. You have a positive experience, and you uh, examine fear when it arises, and you find that examining it mindfully and objectively, it goes away. You go back to your meditation object. Then it comes back again. And this time it doesn't go away. And so now you start being afraid that, well, maybe, not, it's gonna, maybe it's not going to go away this time. Well, for sure it doesn't. The fear becomes more intense. And you're thinking, oh, this fear is going to ruin my whole meditation. What am I going to do? How can I stop it? Or maybe I can't meditate anymore because I can't, I just can't, I can't put up with this. You be aware of that. You get to experiment a lot on the easy things. The, the discomfort, the tension in your shoulders, the things like that, to discover what's going on. Because this has implications for your whole life. Your life is filled with things that are painful and unpleasant. And uh, what you discover in meditation applies in your life. That you can't, there's no way you can go through life without experiencing unpleasantness. But you don't have to suffer in reaction to it, through resistance to it, in the way that you have been. And our psyches may have been conditioned to a variety of unpleasant emotional reactions. But the same thing, we don't need to continue to, uh, to amplify them in the way we do by resisting them uh, and by uh, reacting against them. 
that we can come to a place of acceptance which will allow these things to go away and become free of them. Other questions, comments? So tell me the truth. Do you, do you really feel like you have a comfortable grasp of the first four stages of meditation, even if you aren't already at the fifth stage? <laughs> All right. And I, I, if, if you aren't already, if you haven't already mastered any of these, I want you to know that you can, and you can very quickly, fairly quickly. If, you, if you're diligent, if you're consistent, you will be able to. You know, you'll have you'll have the 15 minute meditation or the half hour meditation where you don't you don't really lose the meditation object, and it's wonderful when it happens. And you can know that it's going to happen again, and it's going to happen more often, and it's going to happen more easily. And the same thing is, is true of all of these things. Also, these first four stages are going to be the ones that do take the longest and are the most difficult. It does get, it, it, it gets easier after that. The, the next one that you might get stuck in for a little while, but probably not too long, is the, the seventh stage. And we'll talk about that some tomorrow. But it, it does get easier as you go along and it moves along more quickly. So if you are still in the second, third, or fourth stage, just keep that in mind, that, uh, that all of the work <coughs> that you do right now is going to pay off in the future. Okay, well, I hope this is useful and helpful to you. I know a lot of that this, I, I, I know that for some of you, this is repetition of things that I've been telling you bits and pieces on our Thursday night sessions. And uh, some of you would have heard uh, a lot of this uh, about two years ago, uh, maybe two and a half years ago it was. And, uh, I've heard it before. But just Keep trying to, to understand it, put it to good use, and like I say, hopefully someday you'll all end up helping other people, teaching other people. Uh, that's what I really hope. So we'll end our teacher training session for today. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow.